Welcome to the Riverside Church Podcast. Riverside Church is a community of believers striving side-by-side for the gospel in the greater New Orleans area. For more information about Riverside Church, go to riversidelife.org. Six through ten is the text I just read to you, and is what we'll be looking at this morning. So you can go ahead and turn your Bibles there, Galatians chapter six, uh, verses six through ten. We'll finish up this series next week, and so this week we'll talk about do not grow weary in doing good. That's the main thrust of uh, the, the verses this morning. Um, and then next week we'll talk about boasting only in the cross of Christ. Uh, and then Aaron will begin a brand new sermon series for us uh, in the summer. Uh, through the book of Jonah. So that's what we will um, do next. And so that's where we're heading. That's what we're looking for. Um, this morning, the main idea, the main phrase that I want us to be thinking through is, is this idea of do not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap. Something I notice about myself, something I notice about the world, probably something you notice about yourself, is that uh, we get very tired very quickly of doing good things. Have you noticed that about yourself? Perhaps we can affirm that we get tired quickly, especially in doing good things. Good things start feeling like hard and we lose, start feeling hard and difficult and waiting and we lose heart very quickly. The morning walk or the evening run that improves your health and produces strength soon feels like a laborious task. But the Netflix binge that never seems to be enough and for the moment feels like a glorious pleasure, is something that we just can't seem to stop doing. The very thing that produces something good in us is something that we get tired of very quickly. The very thing that is really producing nothing in us long term is something that we just can't seem to get pleasure from, but can't seem put the temporary pleasure down. Do you know what I'm talking about? The consistent intake of God's word that brings you comfort in life soon feels like a dry encounter. The constant scroll through your social media feed that constantly is being refreshed and never satisfying keeps your attention for hours a day. If you don't believe me, look at your screen time statistics on your phone if you haven't turned those off already. Or for your non-social media people, the news channels that you just can't seem to turn off. C.S. Lewis famously put it like this. He says, we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. We realize that about our own hearts. Indeed, we're pleased with lesser pleasures and even unsatisfying pleasures. But the unsatisfying pleasures are the ones that we just can't seem to get enough of. And the things that will satisfy us become so weighty so quickly. Weariness comes easy. It's not easy to grow weary. In fact, the number one thing I hear from talking to other pastors these days are that they're weary and their congregations feel weary at least mentally weary. Another thing we know about weariness is it comes easy and it's very contagious. Deuteronomy 12, 20 verse 8 tells us that. That the commanders became faint-hearted at the opposition that they were facing and they were told to go back to their camps, but don't go back in such a way that the people see your weary hearts because if they see your weary hearts, they too will become weary. Weariness comes easy and weariness is contagious. Why is this true? Perhaps it's our fallen nature. Primarily, I think it's our fallen nature. 
We don't gravitate towards holiness, but towards compromise. Our old nature still battles. That's what Paul is talking about, this spiritual warfare, the flesh versus the spirit that's still at war within us. He talks about that in Galatians. He talks about that in Romans chapter 7. You have to fight for joy and fight for joy and good things, and that task becomes very wearisome. So our main idea this morning that I want to talk to you about is don't grow weary of doing good. Particularly what Paul is talking about is don't grow weary in walking in step with the gospel. That's what he's been talking about throughout this. Don't grow weary in walking in step with the Spirit. Doing good gets tough and it will. And Paul says, do not grow weary. Here's the truth. Gospel living can be wearisome in this world at times, can it be? You know that. Doing good things can be wearisome in this world. But... What is Paul after? He said it earlier in his letter. He says it in chapter 4. He says, what I am after is that Christ will be formed in you. So doing good is worrisome. But it's producing something. Christ is being formed in me and in you and in us. And that is worth it. So Paul says, don't grow weary in doing good. Let's go ahead and take a look. First, let's look at verse 6. How does Paul get us there? Galatians chapter 6, verse 6. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Here's truth number one that Paul says to not grow weary in doing good as he goes into this final thoughts of this letter is share all good things with the one who teaches. Now, now for a moment, you're thinking like, where does that fit into what Paul's been saying? As Aaron preached last week, Paul is talking about holding each other accountable. He's talking about seeing Christ formed in one another to hold each other accountable. If people are walking in transgression gently and in the spirit, call them back so that Christ might be formed in them. So what does this have to do with share? He says, share all good things with the one who teaches. This may seem a little out of place at first, but this idea of share is this idea of fellowship. So so, so here's what Paul is saying. You know this, that sharing is sacrificial, right? Sharing is costly. You grow weary of being sacrificial. You grow weary of doing costly things. And Paul is saying to share, live in fellowship with those who are teaching. Now, now there's a couple of ways that perhaps what Paul's talking about here. Let, let me tell you a couple. There's a, the popular way and there's a less popular way to, to view this verse. They, they both kind of bear the same truth. And so it's not like scripture becomes confusing here and there's some truth that's depending particularly upon this verse. So, so don't think the, the Bible can't be understood or anything like that. But there's two ideas to, to take from this. That the one who is taught to the preacher, the, the elder, the, the minister in those local congregations, or, or, or the, excuse me, the congregation member, the one who is part of the church, the one who has taught the word, excuse me, share all good things with the one who teaches, the, the elder, the pastor who is there in the church. And so what Paul may be talking about here is sharing all good things, sharing material things, make sure that the elders in your church are cared for. Make sure that they can devote themselves to the teaching and to the preaching of the word, that they're not weighed down by the cares of this world, but they are freed up to preach and teach the word of God. Paul also teaches that in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And so Paul is saying is that you have, you've stopped, perhaps, 
supporting your preachers and your teachers and and now this false teaching has entered into your church and and now you're being bewitched by this false teaching because you grew weary in sacrificial support of these elders and and now see what's happened that you grow weary in doing good and now this this false doctrine has entered your church and you're reaping the consequences of that that's one of the most popular ways to that, that may be exactly what's going on here that now they're supporting maybe these Judaizers and supporting them, and now they're receiving their teaching from these folks. Perhaps that's what's going on. Our, our instinct is to hoard, and Paul's saying, no, we have to share our lives. Perhaps what's going on here as well is what also might be in scope, the sharing of all good things may not be in terms of material things, but spiritual things. And so Paul is saying the one who is being taught, maybe the one who is being restored, as he has just talked about in that immediate context, perhaps that one who is being taught the word and being drawn back into the fellowship, may they share all good things, share their life, share the truth of the scripture, share gospel living with the one who is teaching them. In other words, you're not butting heads with each other. You're together in this. Be thankful that you are being taught and share your life and fellowship to the one who is teaching you. In both ways, what Paul is saying, even that sacrificial, not just giving material things, but sharing your life is sacrificial as well, isn't it? It costs you something. Just like a farmer who is sowing seed, it costs you something to share your life. So either way, whatever Paul is trying to bring out in this verse, we know the big picture of what he's bringing out to be in gospel community is costly. It's financially costly. It's relationally costly. But whatever cost that you are bearing from being in this gospel community with each other, Paul is saying, don't forget that it's worth it. That's what he's about to get into. Living by the spirit that cost you a reputation in the world, living by the spirit that cost you relationally and cost you time and effort and resources in the light of a local community, it is worth it. And so we have to ask the question here, share all good things. Am I really sharing my life with other people? Am I living a life that's costly in a way that I'm loving my brothers and sisters in Christ? Am I living a life that is costly where I'm calling people back to the gospel? Am I living my life in a way that is costly that is supporting the ministry of a local church so that the gospel might be continued to be proclaimed here and, and beyond? The eye of sharing takes intentionality and it takes effort and it's costly and it's time consuming, much like a farmer who has to till and sow a field. And so that's what Paul gets into next. It's costly. It's costly to live in step with the Spirit with other people in all sorts of ways. All these good things is costly. So he says, so share all good things. And now he's going to get into sowing and reaping. Do not be deceived. Look at verse 7. Do not be deceived God is not mocked. We'll, we'll come back to those two phrases in a moment. But first this. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh, remember we're talking about flesh and spirit, so he brings that out again. The one who sows his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows the spirit will from the spirit reap corruption eternal life. 
And so now in the context of living in gospel community together, costly sharing of life together in this gospel community, Paul now calls to mind this basic agricultural principle, which is, as Jesus pointed out even in his own parables, these agricultural principles are basic life truths that what we reap, we reap, excuse me, what we sow, right? We will reap, we will reap what we sow. He's saying this, that, that actions have consequences. Our sowing makes a difference whether we see it right away or not. There's two ways. Sowing to the flesh, sowing out of whether it's evil things that he talks about earlier in, in chapter, chapter 5, or whether it's through religious things that he's talking about with the circumcision, with the Judaizers that came in, that you must earn your salvation through this law keeping. That's also slow, sowing to the flesh. So good things that take the place of Christ, that add to Christ, and bad things that don't follow Christ, all of those things are sowing to the flesh, and all of that will reap corruption. It will. Those actions will have consequences. That's the line being drawn. Are you sowing to the spirit or sowing to the flesh? Now, now, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, let me give you a couple other illustrations here from the Scripture. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, talks about the gospel going from one generation to the next. Let men who have been taught the gospel share it with others, that they may share it with others. So passing the baton of the gospel, that's what's going on in Galatia. They're not passing the baton of the gospel, the truth of the gospel, from one generation to the next. And you've heard me say it maybe a hundred times, I'll say it again. We're always one generation from losing the gospel. One generation from assuming the next generation knows the gospel and what we assume they know, they don't know. And then they go to the next generation, they don't pass the gospel. And we're always one generation from, from losing the gospel. That's why we're so adamant on telling the gospel to our children in, 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 in Sunday school and RAs, GAs, and all of those things. We want the gospel to be known from one generation to the next. That's what Paul's talking about, Second Timothy chapter 2. He gives three illustrations of that. One is much of like what we see here, this, this farmer illustration, that if we are to be engaged in gospel labor, now Paul's talking to Timothy, an elder in the church, young Timothy, but it also applies to all of us in, in the church as well, as we pass the gospel from one generation to the next. He talks about being a farmer. The passing the gospel from one generation is like being a farmer. It's hard work. It, it takes time. It takes planning. It takes intentionality. It takes tilling the soil. It takes casting the seed. It, it takes all of those things if we are, it takes patience, right? Has anybody ever farmed and planted seeds? Like, you're one of those things that are going to spring up. And you don't see it sometimes. You don't see it for weeks or months or whatever. And if you plant like a citrus tree or something, you're waiting years for that thing to put off. You never know when it's going to, so it takes time. And so Paul gives us an illustration in 2 Timothy chapter 2, much like this, that. Passing the gospel, living in step with the Spirit, sowing to the Spirit, is like farming. He gives us a couple other illustrations as well. He says it's like being an athlete. An athlete must compete according to the rules. God is not mocked. Don't be deceived. You can't short-circuit your way around this. Anyway, anyone who's been an athlete knows that it takes time, it takes practice, it takes intentionality if, if you were going to see success and, and fruit from that sport. You just can't show up and play the game. If you start to skip practice, it starts to show. And there's nothing glorious about practice. Nobody's out there necessarily to watch you or cheer you on. Uh, there's no highlight reels being made. It's oftentimes it happens in the quiet of, of the day. 
It happens when no one's watching, but that's constant intentionality. Maybe if you work out, you know that you just can't go to the gym once in a while or even purchase a gym membership, and hopefully that somehow you end up in shape, right? You understand that, right? It takes consistency, a long obedience in the same direction. So it's like farming. It's like being an athlete. He also says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, it's like being a soldier, that we can't be caught up in civilian pursuits. We must continue to take our marching orders from our commander. And as soon as we stop that and get caught up in things of this world, then we will find that we have lost our way and neglected to stay on, on mission. So Paul gives us all of these illustrations, this basic life principle of what we reap, what we sow. Whether that's in farming, whether that's like a soldier, whether it's like an athletes. And here's the truth that we need to be careful because some Christians sow to the flesh every day and wonder why they're not reaping holiness and and blessing in their life. We wonder this about biblical community. What keeps us from restoring a broken brother gently? Galatians chapter 6, 1, our failure to sow in the Spirit. Our lack of care about holiness. Maybe it's pride that we don't want to ruin that relationship or whatever it might be. There's all sorts of reasons that we sow to the flesh. The truth is, is that we can't expect the joy of community and the joy of seeing gospel fruit and the gospel at work if we aren't willing to sow in the spirits. This is so true for our church. If we're occupied by the flesh, why on earth do we expect to grow in our faith? We see that all over the place. But if we sow to the Spirit, Paul told us what that looks like with the help of the Spirit, not us, but the Spirit in us, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. This is the way of life. And so Paul is saying, if you sow to the Spirit, living in submission to the Spirit, if you live according to that way, you will reap life. But if you live according to your flesh, you will reap corruption. And so he gives these warnings, doesn't he? This basic truth, you will reap what you sow. And by the way, that's what, remember this, have you heard this phrase before? It comes from the Bible. Sow the wind, reap the whirlwind. Have you heard that before? It comes from Hosea chapter 8. If you sow the wind, you will reap the consequences, the whirlwind. He's telling that to the people in Hosea because they've made these political alliances with the powers that be, the Assyrians, and they are trusting in political alliances. They're trusting in military alliances. They start worshiping the gods of the Assyrians, all the idols. So they're looking just like the world. They're sowing the wind. They reap the whirlwind. They will sow. They won't get away with it. God is not mocked. Do not be deceived. You will reap the whirlwind. Don't be deceived, he says. God is not mocked. Farmer, do not be deceived. If you're not sowing the seed that you're looking to sprout up to life, you will not see that crop. It's that simple. Athletes, if you're not doing the work that you're wanting to see, the baseball player that's if you're not out there hitting off the tee, taking soft toss, doing back practice and all of this and working on your, on your hands and your, and your setup and your hip turns and all these, you're not going to all of a sudden start hitting home runs. You're not going to see fruit of that. 
soldier who gets caught up answering to another general, getting sidetracked with civilian pursuits, don't think you're going to see victory in the battle. Don't be deceived to abandon the crop. So don't be deceived to get sidetracked. And don't be bewitched, he says in Galatians chapter, was it Galatians chapter 3? He says, oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who has put you in the spell? And so don't be deceived to think that somehow you're going to get away with shortchanging and not doing gospel work and wanting to see gospel results. But also don't be deceived just because you don't see fruit right away doesn't mean that you're doing the wrong thing. If you're living by the Spirit, if churches are faithfully preaching the word, seek to live according to the gospel, if you are seeking the Lord and seeking to live by the Spirit in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, if you're seeking to live by the Spirit, don't abandon it. Don't abandon what the Spirit has called you to live by and what He empowers you in it. Athlete, don't, don't abandon it just because you don't see the results yet. Farmer, just because you don't see the sprouting up yet, keep going because God has told us you will reap in time. He's promised it. Trust him. Don't start listening to other generals. Don't start listening to the Judaizers. Keep going. Don't be deceived by them and thinking you'll get immediate results by short-circuiting what God has called us to do. So he says, do not be deceived. Our actions have serious long-term consequences. Indeed, God designed it to be that way, as Paul is pointing out here, when he reinforces this reality of sowing and reaping. If you sow to your flesh by constantly seeking to satisfy your own selfish desires, then you will get exactly what you seek, which is corruption. On the other hand, notice how the apostle links sowing to the Spirit with eternal life itself. That if we sow to the spirits, you will receive eternal life. This is so relevant to our churches today, isn't it? If we want to see gospel growth and to experience the spirit of God among us, we don't want to till and farm and live by the spirit, as Paul is pointing out here in Galatians chapter 6, then we shouldn't expect to, to reap what we're not sowing. Do you understand what I'm saying there? We expect to to grow in our faith, but we don't submit ourselves to teaching and to to study and, and community. We don't share our lives with one another. So why should we expect to grow in holiness when we're not sowing what produces holiness in us? A life lived by the Spirit. I've shared this quote with you before. I don't remember where it comes from, to be honest with you. Everybody wants a revolution, but nobody wants to do the dishes. We get impatient. We get tired. We get weary. We wonder, is it worth it? Don't be deceived. God is not mocked, he goes on to say. So don't be deceived and sidetracked and know this reality that God is not mocked. Don't be bewitched. Regardless of who you are, you will reap what you sow. It's a hard reality. Your your sin will find you out. We see that in our own convention of churches right now. Stuff that's been swept under the rug is being found out. Praise God. It's finally being found out. You sow the wind, you reap a whirlwind. You get what you sow. God is not mocked. 
Restoring a brother or sister who is caught in sin, as he's talking about in the immediate context of this, he's saying that they are on a destructive path. Call them back. God is not mocked. You must call them back. They won't get away with it. So if you love your brother, share good things with them. Share your life with them and go get them. Because they will reap corruption. So go get them because you love them. Especially those over the household of faith. Go get them. God is not mocked. This is a warning, but it's a great comfort as well, isn't it? If someone has harmed you and refuses to repent and acknowledge what they've done, take heart. God is not mocked. He will expose all things. So don't be deceived. God is not mocked. In your own life, and if someone has harmed you, take heart. Cling to the promise. Don't grow weary in doing good. Even when your enemies are forming plans against you, God is not mocked. He will deal with that. Leave it to him. He will deal with all things. It's a warning, but it's a great comfort as well that God is not mocked. So therefore, in light of all this, don't grow weary. Don't grow weary in doing good. Does this mean that I can never be tired of or seek another job or seek another position in the church or get tired of teaching Sunday school or kids or whatever? It doesn't mean you can never be tired, but Paul's saying don't grow weary in doing good. This day-by-day sowing to please the Spirit requires us to not become weary in doing good. We get weary, biblically speaking, because life is toilsome because of the fall. Genesis chapter 3 tells us that. Biblically speaking, we need God to work in our lives to breathe life into us to overcome this natural tendency to weariness like we talked about in the beginning of the sermon. Paul says, don't grow weary. Keep sowing. Continue loving one another. Continue sowing peace. Continue sowing kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Continue sowing the fruits of the Spirit by the help of the Spirit because you want to see Christ formed in you and in others. So whatever you do, don't grow weary in trying to help others be formed into the image of Christ. Especially, he says, look what he says at the end of chapter 10, especially to those who are in the household of faith. So here's what Paul's telling us. We share all good things with one another, that our church family is probably more important than we realize. Maybe that's not true for some of you. It's probably true for some of us, that our church family is probably more important than we realize. Maybe the church isn't all we expect it to be sometimes because it is full of sinners, yes. It's costly to be in relationship with people. But it's perhaps it's because we're half-hearted, as C.S. Lewis says, about spiritual relationships. Perhaps it's because we're half-hearted about prioritizing simple things like knowing people, praying for people, and caring for people. I heard a story this week of a, a pastor who had a woman in his congregation. He said, Pastor, we need to see more signs and wonders. We need to see more fruits. We just haven't seen enough. And the pastor responded, Man over, ma'am, Over there is a lady who has been evicted from her apartment with her children. I would consider it a sign and wonder if you would take them into your house to live for three months. Perhaps you're like that at times. You have a great desire to see the fruit of the Spirit. But we overlook and undervalue those simple moments and simple relationships where we see the fruit of the Spirit evident in our lives and we see Christ formed in us as we serve others sacrificially, and as we see Christ formed in other people as they behold Christ, as we display Christ to them. 
We put a lot of emphasis on the glorious games, the one where there's a lot of crowds, but we de-emphasize the simple, quiet moments that no one sees. Paul's saying, share your life. It's, it's worth it. Don't grow weary in doing good, even in those private, unobserved moments where Christ is being formed in you. Even in those quiet moments where you show up for the I was figuring out the other day, how many times have I driven from my house to this church over the course of my lifetime? And I, th- I think I figured it was like 5,000 plus times at least that I've showed up on this campus. Some of you could probably, has been 10,000, 20,000, who knows? And each of those moments, that sowing, scattering the seed one by one, today, maybe in that Sunday school class, I'll understand the scripture like I've never before. Maybe I'll see a brother or sister and be able to encourage them, or maybe I'm down and overwhelmed. Maybe they will encourage me and coming with this expectancy that Christ will be formed in us as we gather together and share life together and live in relationship with other people. Maybe you're weary of those thousands of trips you've made out this way. Is God doing something? Yes. As you gather as God's people, as you live life in community together, Paul says, don't grow weary in doing good. Don't give up, he says. Listen to what he says. If we do not give up, don't give up, he says. Be future-oriented. The harvest is coming. This is what he says. We will reap in due season. It's his timing and not ours. And so Paul is saying, trust Abba. Trust Father. As he said earlier in Galatians. He's promised to bring the harvest. He's promised to bring you to eternal life. He's promised to form Christ in you, and he will do it by his means, by sowing to the Spirit. In due season, Abba has promised harvest, so we will keep sowing the way he has taught us to sow. We will keep sowing by the power of the Spirit in us until Christ is formed in us, and Christ is formed in us. And other people. Brothers and sisters, this is an opportunity. Listen to what he says. We have opportunity in verse 10. This is not just begrudge, this is the opportunity. Let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are in the household of faith. We have an opportunity to share our lives with one another, all good things with one another, so that we might see our lives change, might see this world change, this community change, this world change. By the gospel. Brothers and sisters, let's keep sowing. You've been weary. I've been weary. There's other churches, other pastors in our own. They're they're weary, man. But we're not going to give up. We're going to set our eyes on Christ. We're going to consider Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. And we're going to consider him, we're going to consider Christ who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. So even in the face of persecution, we're going to consider Christ. While we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. Consider Christ. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3, so that we might not grow weary and faint-hearted. It sounds so simple, so difficult. 
would our eyes behold Christ, that Christ would be formed in us, that we might hear the words of Christ. My beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that the labor that you are doing is not in vain, because harvest will come, Abba has promised it. Let's pray.